No one who wants to be a public figure shies away from the spotlight. Why are you staying home? Go on out. Get the crowds. In today's vernacular, be get more likes. Put yourself on social media. Everybody needs to follow you. Jesus is subverting their expectations of what they thought he was wanting to do. It wasn't just John the Baptist. It wasn't just his brothers. It was even his opponents, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. You know, what's so ironic is when it comes to John the Baptist, when we look in the scriptures concerning John the Baptist, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they go to him. Because there's a partial expectation that he might be the Messiah. As a matter of fact, if we go back to John chapter 1 and look in verse 19 and 20, it says, now this was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. And then we go on to ask him, are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? But John the Baptist had fit in their preconceived notions of who the Messiah might be. So they actually approached him to ask him if he was that. But with Jesus, Jesus consistently gets opposition. From these same people over and over again where they come to John the Baptist and they ask him, are you the Messiah? Or they come with that expectation, are you the Messiah? That doesn't happen with Jesus. Oh, it happens with Nicodemus in the middle of the night and Joseph of Arimathea is a secret disciple. But by far and by all what we see among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, the priests and the Levites, they reject Jesus as Messiah. They don't give him a second consideration. It doesn't matter that he's going around the country and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter that he's going around the country and he's healing the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind. None of that matters. Have you ever wondered why? John chapter 7 tells us exactly why. After this confrontation in the temple and and the idea that they wanted to come and arrest Jesus and and Jesus kind of gets away from being arrested, the temple guards go back to the Pharisees who were there and give report and he's like, has he bewitched you too? And Nicodemus, who had met Jesus by night, goes and he kind of gives a defense for Jesus here at the end of chapter 7 and it says in verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. And you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. See, Jesus subverted their expectations of what they thought they were looking for in a Messiah. He's from the wrong region. He's not from the right place. That's not where he's from. 
And therefore, I cannot give him my attention that he's actually the Messiah. Because as I read the scriptures, he doesn't fit the description that I think the Messiah ought to fit. The destruction of Jesus to them would just be, in their minds, just another of a long list of false saviors and false messiahs. Even among his own, Judas Iscariot, though hidden among all of the other disciples, one of the twelve that was chosen by Jesus himself, through every test it seems like Judas is standing strong. We look at the end of John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we see the feeding of the 5,000. We see the people following Jesus. Afterwards, he talks about his body being real flesh to be eaten, his blood to be real drink to be drank. And if they don't eat of his flesh or drink of his blood, they have no part in him. And Judas stays. Everybody else is left. Judas stays. And Jesus gives this warning at the very end of that chapter. Verse 67, he asks the question to the disciples who remain. Do you not want to leave too? You do not want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve, and yet one of you? is a devil. He meant Judas, son of Simon, and Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. And what was it? Because he stayed during this time. When everybody else was leaving and it was hard to stay, Judas stayed. But somewhere along the way, His expectations of what he thought the Messiah was and who Jesus really was would come into conflict with one another. Satan would enter into him and he would go and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What was he hoping to accomplish? You know, it was Jesus... At that confrontation in the Garden of Gethsemane, who would tell Peter, put your swords away. If it was my Father's will, don't you think I could have 12 legions of angels come down right now? I think that's what Judas wanted. The heavenly consummation of the Messiah from heaven taking the whole of Jerusalem, the whole of Israel by storm and by force to establish this earthly kingdom. The betrayal is just one way of forcing Jesus' hand. But when Jesus is handed over to the Sanhedrin and sentenced to death... Judas' Messiah is dead. He responds this way. We read about it in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 5. 
Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. And they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. The thing we are looking forward to, Judas would never get to see. And what are the crowds? The crowds of the people, as we celebrated Palm Sunday this last week, The crowds of the people who are yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are thinking that this is the great king that is promised in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, coming on a foal of a donkey who is going to rule, whose rule extends over all of creation. And somehow in the course of just one short week, they have come from Accepting him, welcoming him, wanting him to be a part of that. To screaming with the chief priests and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas instead. We have no king but Caesar. Let his blood be on us and our children. What happened with Jesus? What expectations from the crowd were not met? That they would go to rejoicing over a king enter into the city. To screaming and wanting his death. Even over that of a murderer. Finally, his disciples... You know, after his crucifixion, the very disciples that Jesus chose, the ones who were proclaimed the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom of God through Jesus himself, found themselves all disillusioned and wondering how they could have got everything so wrong. And we know this because in the account of Luke, a few verses on two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. Talking about Jesus of Nazareth, trying to describe to the stranger who has walked up to them and said, have you not known what is going on this day? You get the idea of what's going on in their minds and in their hearts. He was a prophet Powerful in word and in deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Even his own disciples with that mindset, did we 
get it wrong. Much like John the Baptist, you know, so sure of everything that they had saw. And it didn't end the way anybody envisioned it. Everybody, whether they were for Jesus, ambivalent toward Jesus, against Jesus, all had expectations of what they thought the Messiah ought to be. And Jesus somehow didn't fit that bill in this moment. And all of them are asking the same question. How can this be the will of God? And it's really ironic. Because us, looking back on all of this, knows exactly how it is the will of God. Paul, when talking in his first missionary journey and giving testimony of Jesus, so interesting, in, verses, in chapter 13, verse 27 through 29, he says this, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus Yet in condemning them, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. And though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Forsaken, dying alone, not fulfilling the expectations of men. And yet, by doing so, fulfilling the perfect will of God prophesied so long ago. See, everybody had their expectations of what they thought the Messiah should be. But Jesus always knew who he was. What he had come to do. For you and for me. And now our culture is asking that question anew. Is this really the Jesus Because he doesn't meet our expectations. Word of God tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The beauty of this day is seeing the conglomerations of all of these seemingly contradictory prophecies coming together and coalescing in the fullness of time, as the scripture says. Where Jesus comes on the scene and he dies on the cross for you and me. Fulfilling what was always prophesied but never really understood even by his closest disciples. That's the beauty of this day.
We're going to close today in just a moment. The time of communion. We have some tables set in the back that have communion that's there. It's going to be the last act of worship that we're doing today. I want you guys to think about how Jesus shatters our expectations. Who is Jesus? Jesus is exactly who he says he is. What the word of God presents him to be. More glorious than we could ever hope and imagine. And he proved it by dying on the cross for you and me. This day more than any other day. Shows us. That he doesn't have to meet our expectations. Only the fathers. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we invite you to go back and partake. Take a time of reflection. Take as long as you would like. We would ask that as you partake of the elements that are in the back, after you're done, please exit quietly, having the doors closed behind you so that others can continue to consider the greatness of our God during this day and during this sacrifice and during this time. We end with the prophecy, the culmination of the reason why Jesus has come. Something missed by those who followed him. In that moment in time, in that confusion, not fully understanding what Jesus had come to do. This was his father's will. It is finished. Who's believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Lord Jesus, as we consider anew your sacrifice, O Lord, and understand, dear Heavenly Father, that you sent Jesus and he 
so much shatters so many of our expectations of who we think he ought to be. That is not what our job is to do. Our job is to see who he is in Christ, in you, what he has done in you. To recognize how all of this points to the gloriousness of who you are to your heavenly father and who Jesus is who died for us. God, help us to see with clarity as we celebrate this day the greatest of all sacrifices for all of our sakes in Jesus' name. Amen.